be reading out of uh, John chapter 4, starting at verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. Good morning, everybody. Well, if you could, please turn to John 4, uh, verse 43 that Josh just read. And, uh, and while you're doing that, uh, I just want to say that I'm so thankful for, for the grace that's been poured out onto this place. Like, man, just uh, as we were meeting with our leadership team last Sunday, uh, I've just been encouraged in so many ways by, by this church and by what's going on. And so I don't want to forget to let you guys know that. I'm just encouraged that we're challenging, that, that I've seen many people in, in this church challenging themselves with God's word and asking what, what needs to be done and, and what needs to be done in response to that. And so they, and people have responded in, in many ways. Uh, one, uh, we have some taking classes to submit to the calling of uh, fostering and adopting. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for that. We have some that, that are in our small groups and in, in different places that are, that are going through that in their lives. And uh, we're just thankful for that. Uh, many have expressed interest in uh, working, like Blake was talking about earlier, working with SC3 and being a part of our, of our youth group that, that we're doing here and uh, being able to, to minister to children and, and allow children to grow in, in their knowledge and their understanding of who Christ is. And so, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Many responding, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into, obviously, into... Um, you know, church planning and in, into bringing, uh, bringing all this to, to life every Sunday. Uh, you know, and, and we have so many people here that are that are willing to help out with with what's going on and, and are just so passionate about what's going on here. And so I'm I'm so thankful for that for our band practicing and preparing to lead us in worship every Sunday. Like that's that's a big deal that people don't don't sometimes see, and I'm so thankful also for our elders who are care for us in, in worship by teach by the teaching of the word, and then also spiritual guidance and, and care for our congregation. So I, I just wanted to to say that to start off how, how encouraged I am by this church and, and by by what's going on here, and so. Uh, I mean, it just keeps coming up that God has blessed us with leadership and with servants that, that, are, willing to, that are willing to do whatever it takes to, to bring glory to God. And so uh, with that being said, let's, let's celebrate what God's doing in our congregation and, and across this world by worship him, worshiping him, hopefully through the further understanding and the application of his word this morning. 
So uh, with that being said, let's jump into the text. Um, So as we've been going through John, uh, we've been seeing John's purposes revealed over and over and over. And so we're going to talk about this again. Uh, We bring it up every week, but this is is John's purpose. This This is what he's wanting to do. Uh, by communicating these things to us. Uh, In John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So his apologetic and evangelistic purpose, like we always said, uh, we're going to get to see that that believing taking place again today. And so... uh, I've been praying just like we do every week that, that we'd be able to see, to see him like, like John does in chapter 1, verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14 says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so as we're walking through this text today, I want you to see that, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son. And so I hope that we can say, uh, completely, I hope that we can proclaim that for, from his fullness that we have received grace upon grace, because we have, and we, we all know that to be true in our lives, those of us who are believers in him. And so that's why I want to explore this text with, with humility while we're walking through this, and also uh, and, and just so that when we're walking through this, that when we see these examples of incomplete belief and then complete belief that we discussed previously, that we can glorify God through that. Uh, and so going into chapter 4, uh, verse 43, it, sa- it starts off, it says, After the two days he departed from Galilee. And so remember from last week, Jesus has left Judea, and he's, he's passing through Samaria, and he's ultimately headed, headed to Galilee. And so that's, that's where we pick up here. He's, uh, remember that he, was, he, was, he had this encounter with this Samaritan woman that we talked about two weeks ago. So he was actively pursuing this woman. He was, he was making a trip through Samaria to go back to his hometown, but he was actively pursuing this woman. He was probing deeper and deeper into her life. Like he wanted to know, he wanted to uh, cross cultural barriers. He crossed a lot of religious taboos in order to speak with this woman and uh, completely reveals himself to this woman, even to the extent where he says, where she says, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And to which Jesus replies, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus completely reveals himself to her. So then she immediately drops her bucket and and goes to tell everyone about Christ. And we get to see Jesus giving this illustration next to his disciples about the harvest. And, uh, And they get to take part in seeing many others from the area of Sychar, this place that they were in in Samaria. Um, We get to see them being able to take place in that and to trust in him in the next couple of days that followed. And so uh, when Jesus stayed in Samaria, that, that's what he was doing there. He was revealing himself to these people. And, they had, and these people could, could say now that they had seen Christ for themselves. Like they, they didn't have to trust in the woman's testimony anymore because they had seen Christ clearly. And he was on display for them to see. And so then... These are the two days that we're talking about here that, that Jesus is talking I mean, that John is talking about here. And so then he leaves to go back to his hometown. But the next part of the uh, the next part that we're going to come to is is kind of strange. And so it says after the two days, he departed for Galilee. 
And then in parentheses, which was put in by, by John, obviously, these were not included in uh, ancient texts, but in parentheses it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So some of you, if, if you're in the NIV or the NLT, uh, you're going to see... You're going to see the word now before, so it's going to say now Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, but uh, if you're in, if you're looking in uh, the ESV or the NASB or one of the more, more literal translations, you're going to see the word for, and so that was, I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a small thing, but it, it was something that made me, that caught my attention and made me look a little further into it, and since I, you know, since I don't understand uh, I don't have an extensive knowledge of the Greek language. I had to go, I had to go other routes to be able to find and figure out what, what's going on here. And so it looks like uh, just through looking at commentaries and looking through uh, some interlinear Bibles and things like that, it looks like the word for is going to be the one that was actually used in the original language. And so that makes, that makes a big difference here. I mean, you, know, you may be saying, why is this word so significant? But John's purpose here is to put Jesus on display. He's to, it's to point to the person and the character of Jesus Christ. And so when we see this word for, it says, for Jesus himself had testified that, the prophet has, that, that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So he departed for Galilee because he testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And so that's a little bit different. And I think this shows the picture of Christ that we see in John 1, and that we'll see in the rest of the book as we go through. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, if you remember when we went through that a few weeks ago, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not, nor, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So Jesus is not only going to this place, but he is actively pursuing people that are going to be opposed to him and that, are, that don't accept him in his hometown. So he's, he could have stayed, you know, he could have stayed in Samaria a little while. He even said that the harvest is ripe. Like, people are coming to him and, and knowing his name. People, people are coming to him and, um, you know, he's preaching repentance and bringing them to himself. And I'm sure this was a great time. I mean, these two days had to have been awesome for him, but but instead he's going to a place where he had testified that he has no honor. So he's going back to his hometown. Um, he was of no value there, is what is what they're saying there, and he's going to openly embrace the dishonoring of himself in order to in order to pursue his people. So. And I mean, we're going to see that further along in, in the Gospel of John over and over to where he's even going to go as far as to humbly place himself into the hands of Jews who would crucify him. And so he's not going to a place where he feels welcome. He's embracing the unwelcoming. He's going, he's going into that first, uh, head first. And so this makes me th so thankful. Um, number one, just, I mean, just thinking about my life, the one uh, that, that he came after me and that he was willing to step into my mess. So, like, Jesus is pursuing these people, these people that don't want him. Well, there was a time when I didn't want him, when I, when I didn't want him to pursue me, when I didn't want him to come after me, but he's pursuing me and coming toward me. 
And so no matter how much the people have rejected him and how much they will reject him, he steps willingly and purposefully into these places where he's not accepted or welcomed. Okay? So this verse talks about how he has no honor in his hometown, but then let's go to the next verse, and we read verse 45, which is kind of confusing as well. It says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So what's going on here? We just talked about how he wasn't honored in his own hometown. He wasn't, he wasn't respected. He wasn't welcomed. And then it says they welcomed him. So why, why is that? What's going on here? If he has no honor, then why are people so open to, to welcome him, welcoming him in here? So do you remember, uh, it's, it's kind of like what we saw at the end of chapter 2. Uh, you remember the incomplete belief that we discussed at the end of chapter 2? Um, so you remember the, the Passover of the Jews was going on uh, in John chapter 2. Uh, we see that the money changers, and the, the, there's money changers in the temple, and there's people selling sheep and oxen and, and all of these, and, and pigeons. And he makes a whip of cords, Jesus does, and drives all these people out. And so the Pharisees immediately question his authority. And they say, you know, they, they question his authority. Like, what authority do you have to come in here and drive all these people out of the temple? And then he says, and then he even says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And so even though this doesn't look like a sign, uh, like some of the other signs in Scripture, he's revealing himself to these people and to his disciples. So Jesus is revealing himself in this act. But then John gives this commentary at the end of the chapter. John chapter 2, verse 23 He says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So this is the same type of welcoming that's going on here. When When you see in the text that they're welcoming him in, this is the type of welcome. It's not a good welcome. It's a uh, Jesus knows what's in their hearts, and these people have no interest in, in submitting to him as Christ or submitting to him and trusting that he came to save them. Like, he was just a superstar. He was the guy that's been going around and performing all these miracles, and they see that. They, I mean, it's going to be evident. I mean, he's gained some notoriety by the miracles that he's performed, and, and what's the evidence that we have of that in this passage? It says... It says that they welcomed him because they had seen all that he had done at the feast in Jerusalem because they were there. Okay, so they have the firsthand accounts of this golden boy, Jesus Christ. That's what they think of him as. You know, he's just coming in and performing all these miracles. So, so this is the welcoming that he's receiving. Like, yeah, we want you to come on in. You know, come on back to our town. That's, that's our boy there. That's Jesus Christ. He's performing all this stuff. We want him to perform some miracles for us too. You know, maybe if we're next to him, then, then we can have some benefit from that, you know? And so in verse 46, it says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And so this is, where, this is the place where he had been at the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, the people all, and the people of Cana had also been able to see him perform this miracle. And so all of these people know exactly what he's doing. I mean, he's from their hometown. He's, he's the one uh, that was born to Joseph and Mary. Like, they, they know him. And at the same time, they see him performing these miracles. And so 
So we're going to see him encounter this official next. And like much of John so far, you're going to see, you're going to see this word believe repeated here over and over and over. And so uh, I want you to see this morning as, as we go through this text, as we go through the dialogue between Jesus and this official, I want you to see the, the measures of belief that are shown here. Uh, okay, so we're going to see the measures of belief with this man in relation to Jesus Christ. So we're going to see, first of all, his belief in the signs and wonders of Christ, kind of like what, what we were just talking about. We're going to see his belief in the truth and the words of Christ. And then we're going to see his belief in the person of Christ, in him, himself. And so let's go through, let's go through the rest of this text. Uh, it says, that, And at Capernaum, there was a, an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Okay, so it says there's a, there was an official. Uh, who is this man? Uh, we need to know a little bit more about him. We've got we to see something about him. So who is this man? What does he do? And why, why is he significant? What's, what's going on in this text? Uh, official in the, in the Greek language is basilikos, which actually means connected in some way to the king, or, you know, in other words, a king's official of some sort. And so this guy is working for the king. So the only king in this area was King Herod Antipas, which was actually, he was a tetrarch, so that means that he had rule over like a fourth of the, of the actual kingdom of Israel. But uh, nevertheless, he didn't, he didn't rule over a whole lot, but, you know, in comparison, but he, he was still the ruler of that area. So he's not a Jew, and he's actually, uh, he's actually in service to the, to the Roman government in some way. He's in connection with, with them. And so... Uh, Herod Antipas was a really, really wicked, wicked man. Like he, was, he was a bad man. And so he was, he was afraid of Jesus uh, for basically Jesus' entire ministry, uh, and he definitely wanted Jesus dead. And that was actually the only place that Jesus had not visited uh, was the place where, where Herod was from. And so John the Baptist, uh, uh, just a little bit more about Herod, John the Baptist had actually called him out for uh, marrying his brother's wife, and then also for some incest that had happened. So, like, this is, uh, this is really bad stuff. And so one night when, uh, when they're having this party, uh, Herod uh, tells his wife's daughter that she can have whatever she wants, and she asks for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So Herod Antipas is the one that is actually responsible for sending the, the group out to behead John the Baptist. And so... That's where, that's where we're coming from here. Uh, this guy is, a, is an official in, his, in this king's court. And so, uh, and so just like the Samaritans that Jesus encountered, you know, uh, the people that were very, very much not liked by the rest of the Jews, um, this guy was probably not in very high regard either. Like he... He may have been a Jew himself, but I can, you can tell that there was definitely some animosity just because of who he worked for, you know. And so, uh, so he approaches Jesus, and he's in a very desperate situation, right? And so uh, he recognizes that his child needs miraculous healing and that Jesus is the only one that can do that. Jesus, he, so he sees that immediately. He sees that Jesus is the miracle worker, the one, the one that can do that. He sees this, and he's heard of what Jesus is doing, and he just wants his son to be healed. 
So what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus is speaking to him. <laughs> Man, that's, that's tough. Like if he comes, up, he comes up to Jesus saying, look, this is my, you know, my son. He's, he's dying. He's ill. I need you to heal him. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, <laughs> you're not going to believe. Man, sometimes we, <laughs> sometimes we think that, that Jesus is... Uh, it's just kind of soft and, and easy around the edges. But man, sometimes Jesus just, just goes straight to the point. And so he's not going to console this man at all. And, and, and that's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's difficult sometimes to see. But if you, if you see in some of your Bibles, uh, especially in the ESV, you're going to see a superscript, like a, like a little number that says above the, word, above the word you. And if you look near the bottom of the page, it'll say that it's actually a plural you. So he's talking to all of these people. Like, unless all of you people see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And so unless y'all, <laughs> unless y'all see me perform some type of miracle around here, there's no way that you're going to believe in, Jesus, in, in me. And so he's addressing the Galileans as a whole. And some commentaries I've seen say that that Jesus is possibly testing this man with the way that he's with the way that he's asking this question, like, you know, how are you going to believe in me unless you see miracles? But then, but then, how often do we come to a situation in our own lives when we want to use Jesus for our own personal gain, for the things for the things that we want? Okay, so we come to a desperate situation and we need him. And I'm not saying that we can't cast our cares upon Jesus, but many times do we really cherish who he is or more of what he can do for us and uh, that, you know, the things that he can provide for us. And so I, feel, I fall victim to this all the time. And uh, I remember specifically in a Bible study in college when we were talking about, um, when we were discussing biblical models of prayer and just how to, how to approach God in prayer um, I just remember how selfish my prayers were. I remember how selfish uh, I was asking God for things. And so I was focused on what I needed, and, and more, more so I missed out on the ultimate purpose that was to communicate with and to give glory to God through, through the prayers that I was giving. And so the, our prayers are meant to admire Him, to cherish Him, and to thank Him for who He is and for what He's done, and to put others above myself and to lift them up and, and to pray for them and then to confess my sins to him, to, to him. But it's easy to fall into that trap, right, uh, of praying for the things that we want and, and just praying specifically for, uh, for things that are going to help us out. And so let's see, uh, going back into the text in verse 49, let's see how the, how the official responds to him when he says that. The official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. So Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And he says, sir, please come down before my child dies. So he's not going to try to justify himself. He's not going to try to step around anything. He just says, he's just very direct. And again, he believes that Christ can heal this boy. He believes that Christ has the power to do this. So he believes in the signs and the wonders of Jesus Christ, that he, that he can do this at this point. But that's not going to be enough. That's not going to be enough. And so in verse 40, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. 
And it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So we see immediately that, that Jesus' focus is to bring people to himself, to know and to cherish and to make much of himself in order to glorify the Father. But I don't want to miss out on, on some of the things that are going on here. Like, we're, like the whole goal of this is to point toward Jesus the person, like the person of Jesus Christ, and to point toward, toward glorifying and praising him. But I, I don't want to miss out on, on some of the things that are going on in this miracle here. First of all, we're going to see Jesus' divinity. Um, Jesus speaks and miraculous healing takes place, right? And so he doesn't have to go and lay his hands on this boy. He doesn't have to go and, and do anything. He just speaks and healing power comes from him. And so he's not, he's not restricted in any way with his healing power. He's fully God while being fully man. And so he speaks and this boy is healed. And so we're going to see at the end of John chapter 3, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you look back to a few weeks ago when we were going through uh, John chapter 3, when we were discussing his attributes, uh, verses 34 through 35 says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Excuse me. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. And so this is the power that we see here that the Father has given all things into Christ's hands and that Christ does not, is not in some little box where, where he has to perform in a certain way. Christ can do what he wants. And so this is the power that we see. And also in this, we're going to see Jesus' graciousness. Like, this man's asking for a miracle with incomplete belief. Like, he's, he's coming and asking for a miracle and not, wanting, and not trusting in the person of Christ yet. And we're going to see that later on. But Jesus is gracious to provide that miracle for him. And so he graciously and miraculously heals this boy, and he's going to use this healing as a way to bring this man to know him as Savior. So that hasn't, I don't believe that that's happened yet, but we're going to see Jesus graciously stepping in and allowing this miracle, this sign and wonder, to, to bring people to know him. And that's what, and that's what his miracles are for. He's here to, to help others. He's here to, to heal people, but ultimately they're to point to the person of Christ. And so, and so we're going to see the official's response next. It says he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So that's a good sign, right? Like this guy's coming out. This is a great way to respond. He's going to show something more about his belief in this. And so it's not a long description. It just says he believed what Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. But we can tell by his response that this man moves forward. He's gonna, he, he was believing in Jesus' power and his miracles, but he's going to move forward and he's going to now believe in the words of Jesus Christ. He's going to believe in the truth of his word. And so Christ says, go, your son is healed. And, you know, we would be so tempted to say, like, no, Jesus, like, why, wait, you have to, you got to come with me. You got to come, my, my son is dying. Like, you have to go, you have to go be with him. Like, you have to, you, I've seen the power that comes from your hands. Like, you need to, you need to be touching him. And like, what if something goes wrong? What if it doesn't work? Like, I would be tempted to say that. Like, what if, like, what if we go over there and he's not, and he's not healed? Then you need to be there with me. But this guy 
this, this official, he believes in Jesus' words, and he simply goes home. There was no rebuttal, no, no anything, no response to that at all. He just simply goes. And so verse 51 says, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked in the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the father knew that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And so the officials from Capernaum, right, it's a town right next to the Sea of Galilee, and then 15 miles or so to the west is going to be uh, where Cana is. And so actually he's, when he was traveling to Cana, he was going about 15 miles directly uphill. So now it says he was going back down. So he was going back down to, uh, to Capernaum. And so he stays overnight somewhere. Uh, obviously it was a, probably a pretty, a pretty big journey. I mean, 15 miles by foot or which, whichever way he was, he was going is probably a difficult task. And so he probably stayed somewhere overnight and then he was traveling uh, to, meet, to meet up with his son the next day. And so he stays overnight somewhere, and then I can imagine his servants are so ecstatic that they can't hardly, they can't hardly hold themselves together. And so they, they can't hardly wait until he gets back, so they got to bring in the news. And so his servants meet him, and they say, your son's recovering. He's getting better. It, like, it's amazing. And so he's got to know. The, the officials got to know immediately, like, okay, what, when did this happen? When did he start to get better? And so they said, yesterday at the seventh hour which if we count from sunrise, is 1 o'clock p.m., but that, that's not important. The, the important part of that is that it was at the exact time that Jesus told him, go, your son will live. And so that's important. Like, he's, he's starting to see this. Like, it's starting to come together in his mind. Like, you can see it. You can see uh, Christ being made known in this guy's life. And so he says uh, in the second part of verse 53, he says, and he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So in hearing and seeing that his son was healed, his faith was strengthened. And I believe that he and his entire family believed in the person of Christ at this point. And see, just like all the other Galileans, this man sought out Jesus because he knew he was a miracle worker. Like he, he came to him in order for him to heal his son. But then once Jesus told him that he wasn't going with him to heal his son and gave him an even better response to just go, then he believed in the words of Jesus and he went. And so we, we can see this belief coming on. And then Jesus, when he, when he hears of and when he sees his son, and then this man, when he hears of and when he sees his son being healed, then he and his family believe. And they trust in Jesus Christ himself. They trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the signs and wonders, I guess the entire purpose of this is that the signs and wonders are amazing. But it's not enough to believe in Jesus' signs and wonders. But all of these, just like the rest of Scripture, are meant to point us to the Savior of the world, to point us to Jesus Christ, the one that would go humbly and purposefully and lay down his life on the cross to bring man back into relationship with God. The one that will become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and for everything that we do in order to justify us and to credit our guilty hearts with righteousness. 
and to sanctify us and to allow us to pursue holiness. And then, and then so importantly, to allow us to be in community with the Father forever and to be in community with one another as we're sharing the gospel uh, to the world. And so with that being said, um, I just wanted to go through a few applications, implications that we can, that we can see from this text. Uh, just, a few, just a few things that, that really stuck out to me. Uh, we saw the, the first thing, we saw Christ stepping into places and situations knowing that he was going to be persecuted, knowing that he was not only not honored, but would be persecuted even to the point of death. Like, he's stepping into that. He not only accepted this, but he's going to seek out these situations to go to. He's going to pursue those uh, head first. And all of this was in order to glorify and honor the Father. And so, I'm not saying in any way that we're like Jesus. Like we, are, we are not like Jesus, but he is conforming us into his likeness. And so, I'm saying that we're placed in situations that cause us to embrace not being accepted. And uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not great at this naturally. Like, uh, you can talk to Heather, and uh, she, can, she can definitely tell you that uh, one of my downfalls is that I'm a people pleaser. I like, I like to have acceptance. I like people to accept me and to, and to love me for, for what I'm doing. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's a great thing, but sometimes it's a really bad thing. And so I feel like sometimes... And I know that sometimes we're called into situations where people are going to reject us, where, where, we need, where people are going to not like what we're saying, where they're not going to like what's, what's going on. But sometimes we're called to embrace these openly and to go into these situations. And not only, not only to, to take these on, but to, to embrace these personally and to, and to seek out these situations because the Father is being glorified through bringing the gospel to people who are resistant to the gospel. Because remember, like Ephesians 2 says, at one time we were all resistant to the gospel. We, all, we were all dead. We didn't, we didn't want that. We didn't want the saving power of Christ. But guess what? He came to us anyway. And so this is solely for the purpose of Christ receiving glory. And in that, I pray that we would be able to seek out those situations where people are not necessarily for us. And, and even some of us will seek out situations where persecution may happen, how, however small or however big, uh, even to the point of maybe some of us death. But Christ calls us to, to pursue that and to go with that. And so uh, also from this text, uh, I, feel like, I feel like another application is uh, more of a question that I was asking myself this week. Um, does our focus sometimes rest, or all the time, rest on the, on the things that Christ ble- blesses us with, like the things that he does for us? Does our focus rest on that, or does it rest in the person and the character of Jesus Christ? So, like, do our prayers, like our communication with God, do they reflect a need for him? Like, do they reflect a need for Jesus? And, like, do they reflect that we're honoring Jesus with our prayers? Or are they selfish, like, like I said I struggle with? Or are they, are they things that, that are just causing us to, to look at the, at the things that he's doing for us? 
And so, like we've talked about before, there's lots of false teachings out there that focus on coming to God for money and for power and for influence and for things like that. Uh, are we living a life that, that seeks after this? Like, are we, is everything that we do pointed toward that or is it pointed toward giving glory to the Father and like John the Baptist did, sinking back and, and not focusing on ourselves? And so, uh, I don't know, just be thinking about that. Like, like what is our focus? What, what is our purpose in doing that? And then our actions and the way that we communicate Christ to others, like to others that don't know him. Do they, do they point solely to the things that Christ does for us, to the gifts that he gives, or do they point to the Savior? And can others see that we find our identity, just like we were talking about a few weeks ago, that we find our identity in Christ, that we, have, that we find our identity and everything that we are in him? Does, does what we do on a daily basis point to that? And so uh, I, would, I, would encourage you and I would encourage you to just pray about this and to think about this and to encourage one another while we're in, while we're in community and stuff like that to, to look deeper into this that, so that we would cherish and honor Jesus and, and ultimately glorify the Father through that. So if you could just, uh, just pray with me really quickly.